We continue this morning our series that began last week in Ephesians. And uh, you may remember, uh, Andrew said a lot of good things last week, but uh, you remember in particular he reminded us of the invisible spiritual world alongside this material, this physical world. There's uh, an earthly and an eternal realm. And uh, this is what he described for us. And in chapter 1 that uh, he spoke from last week, we have a God's eye view of God's purposes from before the creation of the world. And you remember how he talks about God chose us and, uh, and so on. And he did this all in Christ. He intended to bring out a purpose, a people for himself. That was his purpose. And uh, Andrew, too, pointed out that we become Christians because of God's mysterious purpose, something that we cannot really understand. And he told us, for instance, about the Apostle Paul and the shock he had, (laughs) and uh, about C.S. Lewis of the most reluctant convert in the world. But what we see in this chapter is that God intended to bring out a people for himself And he was going to do this through the Lord Jesus Christ. And you notice that his name appeared time and time again in chapter 1. And in chapter 2, you will find exactly the same. And uh, Paul also told them his prayer. And uh, he said, I'm praying for you that you will come to understand all of this and the inheritance which is yours in Jesus and so on. And he said in particular, I want you to know the incomparably great power of God at work in us. And that's what chapter 2 is about. God's incomparable power, which is like that which he exerted when Jesus was raised from the dead. So, chapter 2 tells us exactly what God's power has done in the lives of Christians. And, incidentally, It tells us what it means for us today. Now we need to stop just there and realize that Paul is talking about God's work in us and he's talking about Christians in a way that isn't normally spoken of in the world today. For instance, uh, you can be what's called a cultural Christian. That is, you can be uh, born in Britain, which used to be called a Christian country, Or you could be born into a Christian family and you're not a Muslim, you're not a Hindu, you're not an avowed atheist. Well, you you must be a Christian then. Perhaps you were uh, uh, christened, baptized as a child, makes you a Christian in some people's eyes. That's one way people think of Christians. Another way they think of Christians as a, a, a religious person who has decided to go in for the Christian religion. And uh, so they like going to church, they've adopted a certain set of beliefs, and they've got themselves baptized, and uh, so they're Christians. But the Apostle Paul is looking at it from an entirely different way. Paul's saying, you are Christians because God has been at work in you. God has done something to you according to the plan that is outlined in chapter 1. And so, if we today are Christian believers, genuine believers on the Lord Jesus Christ, 
It is because God has done a certain work in us, a remarkable work, a particular work in us. And what we're going to hear this morning is relevant to each one of us. It's not just something in the past, not just something that relates to the Ephesians, but it relates to each one of us. If you're a Christian this morning, what's in chapter 2 is descriptive of you. So you see how relevant it is this morning. Now, there are so many remarkable things in chapter 2. Someone said in our house group this past week, looking at chapter 1, oh, there's an awful lot of stuff here. How can we cover that? Well, you're going to feel exactly the same uh, this morning. But I'm going to use the uh, summary that was given to me as a title. And that was, One, One New Life Together. And we'll look at the chapter and those headings. First of all, one new life, covering roughly the first ten verses. And Paul starts off, first of all, by telling them how they used to be. They used to be spiritually dead, he said. What does that mean? What does it mean to be spiritually dead? Be physically alive, Paul meant, but spiritually dead. Well, here are some of the things. It means, first of all, that we have no relationship with God. We do not see him as he really is. In his glory, his majesty, his beauty, the splendor of holiness, his magnificence. If you're spiritually dead, you, you haven't really got any idea of that at all. People who are spiritually dead, if they think of him at all, usually have very wrong ideas about him. They see him as some kind of harsh killjoy, or perhaps the opposite, some father Christmas figure that they want to get on their side. But of course then they're in trouble when things go wrong, don't they? They have no understanding of how to relate to God. They have generally no thought of going God's way, doing what he wants. Paul said they are dead in transgressions or trespasses and sins. They're following the wrong desires of the body and the mind. There are sins of the body we can characterize and sins perhaps of the mind. And he said this is what happens when you are dead in trespasses and sins. You, you just follow the desires of normal life, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, he said. I'm just picking out certain things that he said. He said they follow the ways of the world, and the ways of the world leave God out of account. People say, I please myself. God is all right as long as he doesn't make any demands on me and helps me when I ask him. And Paul says, like the rest of mankind, we were by nature objects of God's wrath under God's judgment. That's how you used to be. You used to be guilty before him, alienated and estranged from God. It was true of us. We're Christians this morning. We can remember when that suddenly began to come home to us. Perhaps it started to come home gradually, I don't know. But we can remember that. But Paul goes on, and he says, 
but God has changed them. He's given us new life. We were dead spiritually. Now God has given us spiritual life. He says, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive with Christ. He gave us a new principle of life, a seed which is to grow. Elsewhere in the New Testament, it talks about the beginning of the Christian life as being like a baby, and the baby has to grow and to, de- to develop. But God gives this new principle of life to people who were once dead spiritually, and he gives them new understanding, a new outlook, new desires, a new way of thinking, new aims, a new direction in life. This, they're conscious this wasn't how they used to be. They've been changed. Things that they couldn't see or understand are now becoming clear to them. And really, God's work in them has made them different people. That's what Jesus meant when he talked about being born again. Told Nicodemus, you must be born again. That's what he meant. You need the work of God in your life. And he goes on to say it's not because they deserved it, they've uh, earned it in some way, but this was in God's kindness and in his mercy he did it. He says, God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive. They're not what they used to be. They're different. God has done it. God has done it to them out of his love and his kindness. And he ends up this little passage by saying, we are God's workmanship. I think the passage it was read to us had a slightly different word. I can't remember what it was. But it means the same. We are God's workmanship. And he has done this work in us in order that we should live in a certain way. Now, I've got no time to uh, argue this out, but all of us, by nature, are out of sync with God. We're not all pedophiles. We're not all war criminals. We're not all murderers. We're not all blatant liars. But all of us, by nature, are out of sync with God. This is what uh, Paul is talking about. He describes us as rebels, as aliens, spiritually dead, and we need to be, in the words of Jesus, born again. Born again doesn't mean to be just an enthusiast. It means that you've been changed from the inside. Now, most of us this morning can remember when that began to happen to us and how it happened. And it may be some of us this morning are in the middle of this even, are are beginning are beginning to change and beginning to see God is showing us new things. And there may be some here that say, I can't see that at all. I don't agree with that. Can I suggest that you, you read these verses very carefully and quietly. And if your Bible has a little margin down the center, it has other references, you look them up and see what God's word says about us by nature. But let, we've got to hurry on. Let's take the next uh, heading, One New Life. And uh, this covers uh, roughly verses 11 to 18. 
Paul was aware, and again Andrew uh, made this very clear to us last week, Paul was aware that he was writing to people in the church in Ephesus. Some of them had been pagans, and some of them had come from Jewish stock. These were not just contrary belief systems. They were actually hostile to one another. The Jews were proud. They despised Gentiles. They didn't just see them as different. They thought of them as dogs. They were the privileged people. Weren't they the people of God? And the Gentiles, well, I don't know how you'd feel towards someone that thought you were a dog. (laughs) Uh, The Gentiles, generally speaking, didn't think a lot of the Jews either. And uh, they certainly uh, wouldn't mix A Jew wouldn't enter the house of a Gentile, wouldn't eat with them or be on friendly terms. The hatred could be very strong on both sides. There were some Gentiles that, weary of paganism, became what was known as God-fearers. They would go to the synagogue, uh, but they weren't full Jews, and so the full Jews would not have much to do with them. You had to become a proselyte. Uh, Actually, one of the big issues in the early church was whether if a Gentile wanted to be a Christian, did he have to become a Jew as well? (laughs) One of the big issues. But Paul goes on to say that God has destroyed this barrier, this hostility, this enmity that there was between one community and another. And he said God had a purpose. And God's purpose was to create the two one. There are different translations. Sometimes it says one new man. Sometimes it says to make the two groups into one group. And uh, our reading this morning, again, I can't remember what it was. One new humanity was what this new group said. This is God's purpose, that the Jew and the Gentile should be one people of God together. That was his intention. Both are made alive in the same way by God. Both are in Christ, that is, they're raised with Christ, and even in God's purposes, already in the heavenly realm, they're seated with Christ. Both owe everything to what God the Father, to what Jesus has done, and to the Holy Spirit. Both the pagan Christian and the Jewish Christian, they owe everything. They're at one. Talks about the death of Jesus. We we haven't got time to go into that. But by his death, Jesus has brought the two together. The old divisions don't count anymore. Jew and Gentile are made right with God in the same way. He says, Through him, Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, we both have access to the Father. We are at one. It's very interesting reading the Acts of the Apostles. When Peter was first sent to the Roman soldier, Cornelius, and people were converted and the Holy Spirit came, the Jews really scratched their head. What's going on? Does it mean that God is going to save the Gentiles too, Uh just like us. Well, but two or three chapters later on, 
we are saved like the pagans. They've come full circle and they realize that together they are one. They come to God, they have new life in exactly the same way. Now this uh, applies to us, of course. There are many churches and different denominations. But every real Christian has become so in the same way, through God's work. Every true Christian owes everything to God's grace, to what Jesus has done. And that makes us one, no matter what denomination we are in, what uh, church we may belong to. And so as Christians, the old divisions of nationality, color, culture, language, all fall away. And all the other divisions in our normal lives, they fall away. The differences are still there. Man from a pagan background is still a man from a pagan background. A Jew is still from a Jewish background. But they don't count anymore. They're transcended because we owe everything to the Lord Jesus. And even more than that, as we shall see in a moment. At the beginning of the last century, (laughs) the early 1900s, colonial opinion was very strong. Non-Western people were regarded as inferior, especially African people. And they were considered innately inferior uh, by many people in the colonial system. This was recognized, they thought, as a general truth. The London Missionary Society put on an exhibition in that first uh, decade. And uh, a man called Dunkley wrote a poem like this. In Christ there is no east or west, in him no north or south, but one great fellowship of love throughout the whole wide earth. Join hands then, Members of the faith, whatever your race may be, who serves my father as his child is surely kin to me. In Christ now meet both east and west, in him meet north and south. All Christly souls are one in him throughout the whole wide earth. He was ahead of his time in many ways. It's true. For our 40th wedding anniversary a few years ago, Joan and I went to Israel. It was a good trip. Went up to Galilee, looked around, and we uh, down in Jerusalem. One of the highlights for me, I, in fact, I think it was probably the greatest thing of all, was being taken one afternoon to a meeting of Christians where there were Jews and Gentiles, Arabs, together. One. And they were worshipping and praising God and listening to his word together. Hmm? That's it. They were one in Jesus. We need to see ourselves like that too. Now, uh, we need to hurry on. And uh, these thoughts are further emphasized as we come to the end of the chapter. We've thought about new life and we've thought about 
the one new life, the oneness. And now we think about God, the new life together. Christians are not just a bunch of individuals with tickets to heaven. Sad to say, I think often Christians can behave like that. They see themselves as individuals instead of seeing themselves in a new set of relationships. When we become Christians, we're brought into a new community. Remember I started off by saying, this is what God has done to every true Christian. So I say it to us this morning, <laughs> This isn't an option. When God gives us new life, he does it so that we may enter into his purposes and he has put us into a new community which is described in various ways. First of all, he says, it's a new citizenship. Now, something else that Andrew said, he stole my thunder last week, you know. Something else that Andrew said, was a, taught, said we have two passports. And we do. We have our earthly citizenship but we don't really belong here anymore. We also have a heavenly citizenship. We belong to God's eternal kingdom, the kingdom of his dear son. No longer strangers and aliens was what Paul said. We have been transferred into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God's dear son. And we are told elsewhere our citizenship is in heaven. Now, we hear a lot about citizenship, don't we? And uh, about refugees coming and asking to be citizens. Put yourself in that situation. You are, you've had to leave your own country, fleeing for your life, and you've come to Britain and you want to be able to stay. But you're not going to be able to stay unless they're going to they're grant you citizenship. And so you apply. And when it's granted, how different do you feel? I belong. They can't turn me out. I have the protection of this country now. I have various kinds of rights open to me. And I have responsibilities, of course, too. But just, just think of what it means to be a citizen. And if you're a Christian this morning, like me, we together are citizens in the kingdom of God with all that that means. And I, there's no time to enlarge upon that this morning. Perhaps we can do that in, in the groups. But that is where we are. That is our great privilege. We belong in his kingdom. Another one says we are in the household of God. We belong to his family. Jesus said, if a man, uh, John said about Jesus, if a man received Jesus, he has the right to be called a child of God. And this is what God has done for us. Elsewhere, Paul speaks about being adopted into God's family. So if, we're, if we are Christians this morning, we actually do belong in the family of God. What do we think of our glorious Heavenly Father this morning? that has done all this for us when we didn't deserve it, given us new life, 
made us one in Christ, brought us into his kingdom, adopted us into his family, made us part of this great temple. Don't you think that's amazing that he should do it for people like us? 